Good morning. Lest I distract you too much, I will address my um, attire this morning. Um, we, this is tradi- traditional preaching um, vestments in the Anglican Church. And so um, if we are preaching, we will be wearing a cassock, that's the black part, and a surplice, that's the white part. And um, the long flowing is supposed to symbolize the Holy Spirit. The more flow you have, the more spirit you have. You can compare me to John after the service if you want. This is the traditional preaching attire of the Anglican Church. Um, And I'm not, I can go either way with vestments, but I do like it. So um, I'm happy to be preaching before you this morning. Today is the first Sunday in Advent, as evidenced by the purple, as evidenced by um, the lighting of the Advent wreath. It is the beginning of the new church year, the start of our liturgical calendar where we wind back the clock and go to the days before even Jesus was born. But there's a dual waiting in Advent. There's the waiting um, for the birth of Jesus and our celebration of that. But there's a very real waiting that we're reminded of in Advent. And it's the waiting of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the reality that He will come again. And so while we remember his first advent, we await his second advent. And so in this season of advent, as we remember, prepare for the first coming of our Lord, we are challenged, and especially by our readings, especially on this first Sunday in Advent, we are challenged to prepare ourselves for the second coming of Christ. But this one will be far different from the humble and quiet birth one night in a manger in Bethlehem. No, this one will be unmistakable. And all men will know it. Every person on this earth will see it. And we will all stand before the returned Jesus so probably, you know, it gets you wondering a few things. We can't probably address all of those questions this morning, but, but our gospel reading does address three questions, okay? Three questions we might have. And the first one is, well, what exactly are we waiting for? The second question is, how can we be assured that these things we are waiting for are, are good and hopeful? And the final question the text addresses is, what should we do about it? In light of this thing that is coming and in light of the good news that it is, what are we to do about it right now? So maybe you have your Bibles. I hope you do. Um, If not, please, please bring them between preaching and Sunday school. You have ample chance to use them these days. Um, We're in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. You can pull out your Bible, pull it out on your phone. Um, I'm I'm sure we'll have it on the screen as well. But Luke chapter 21, and we're going to begin in verse 25. Um, very briefly, the context. Jesus, this is um, some of the last teaching he's giving his disciples. It's called the um, Olivet Discourse because he's on the Mount of Olives and he's speaking to his disciples and he speaks a lot about end times and things like that. Uh, but, but the first part of this chapter, he's actually speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem and he's prophesying, you know, in about 40 years. He doesn't say that, but, but he does say very soon Jerusalem will actually be destroyed. And that was an unthinkable thought for the disciples, but nevertheless it came to pass about 40 years after Jesus' death. 
And so that's how he begins. And now in our readings, he's transitioning um, into a, another day of judgment, the day when the Son of Man returns on the clouds. And the first question that is addressed in this passage is this. What are we waiting for? What are we looking for when Jesus returns? And so let's just look at verses 25 to 28. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear, with foreboding at what is coming on the world. For the powers of heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. We are waiting for a very public and very intense return of Jesus Christ. That is the answer to what are we waiting for. Now contrast that to the first advent of Christ, which we'll celebrate here in a few short weeks he appeared quietly, right, as a, as a babe lying in a manger, in a backwoods manger even, a backwoods manger in a backwoods town, in a backwoods province of the greatest empire the world has ever known or had ever known at that point. It was a quiet first advent for Jesus. Few people knew about it. But not when he comes back. Not his second advent. When he returns, it will be clear to everyone, to all men and to all women, it will be abundantly clear that something significant and something terrifying is happening when Jesus returns. All of creation will shake and tremble at the return of Christ. Do you remember at his first advent? What did the creation, what did it do? It raised a lone star over Bethlehem, right? Leading wise men from the east. And at Jesus' death, how did creation respond? With an earthquake? That's powerful. With the darkening of the skies? But those were short-lived. But at his second coming, when he returns... There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, roaring of seas and the waves. The powers of heaven will be shaken. It will be terrifying. It will be terrifying and it will also be hopeful. Because there's going to be two responses when this happens, when Jesus returns. It's unmistakable and we're all going to know about it and we're going to respond in one of two ways. The first way is this and we see it in verse 26. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Many, many people will be terrified at the sight of the return of Christ, at the signs in the moon and the stars, at the roaring of the seas. People are going to be here, even at St. Paul's, even doing churchy things, perhaps, and they're going to hear the trumpet call, the call to judgment. They're going to see the dead rise from their graves to go and meet their Lord. And they will join them. 
and it will be a terrifying day because they won't have a leg to stand on. They will faint with fear. That's one response. But there's another one, right? A more hopeful one. Frankly, that's not very hopeful. A more hopeful one. Verse 28. When these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Friends, this is good news. The judgment of Jesus Christ is good news. Because those who know him, those who know his grace and his mercy will welcome his return. And they'll they'll stand before him and they'll say, I am righteous not on my own merits, but on the merits of Jesus Christ. And we'll share in the glory of his eternal kingdom. And there'll be no more suffering. And no more pain and no more death. Every tear shall be wiped away from the eyes of those who know Jesus. And so when we see these signs, when we anticipate his return, even now when we see a world that seems like it is falling apart, straighten up and raise your heads because our Lord is coming back. And so what are we waiting for? Nothing less than the return of the king to his creation and the restoration of all things. And for those who know Jesus Christ, this is good news. The second question perhaps the disciples might have been thinking upon hearing this is like, okay, that's, that's all fine and well, Jesus, but these things sound pretty terrifying. How do we know that this is good news? How can we be assured that what you're telling us is actually a good thing? And so we read in verses 29 to 33, I won't reread it for you, but, but Jesus um, gives us two reasons. One, he gives us a parable, and he says, um, the first thing is the signs themselves will actually remind you of the promise. The signs will remind you of the promise. Now, the first sign was the fall of Jerusalem. Jesus predicted this. Forty years later, it happened, Jerusalem fell, and we could say, wow, he, he was right. He, he said it, and then it happened. And so when we see these signs coming, we will know that the promise is near. And so he tells them a parable, right, about the fig tree. And the basic premise is this. When a tree starts to bloom, you know that summer is around the corner. We get that here in Somerville, right? When the azaleas start to bloom... You know, the spring is here and summer is coming when the wisteria is purple in the trees. What? Spring is here. Summer is coming when, when these beloved pine trees drop their pollen over everything. Spring is here. And summer is coming. And when we see the signs in the heavens, we know that our redemption is near. And so the signs will remind us of the promise. But, but, but perhaps even more important than that is this here in verse 32. 33, excuse me. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. How do we know that this is good news? Because Jesus said it is, and his words will not pass away. 
Heaven and earth will pass away. What does that mean? Um, It doesn't mean that everything's going to be destroyed and we're going to start over again. It means that the division, the distinction, heaven's over here and earth is over here and they're separate. And when you leave this one, you go to this one, God willing. Um, but, 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 But should ever the two meet? Would this division between heaven and earth come together? That's the promise of Jesus. That heaven and earth will no longer be separated, but that heaven will be on earth. A new heavens and a new earth. Do you remember what Revelation promises us will be right there in the middle of the new creation of the new heavens and the new earth? Remember that hymn, I want to walk as a child of the light? The Lamb of God, the Lamb is the light of the city of God. Shine in our hearts, Lord Jesus. The word of God himself in the middle of the heavenly city. It will not pass away. Jesus' words will not pass away. We can trust them. Now, if Jesus hadn't been resurrected, we could say, well, who's he? I could have said that. But he was raised from the dead. And he's ascended into heaven. When a man is raised from the dead like that, his words have the authority of a king. They will not pass away. So, waiting on the second coming of Christ. How do we know this is good news? The signs remind us of the promise, but also the word of God is everlasting. What do we do now? How do we respond um, most of you know, maybe you don't, um, I have five children. You know, it can be really tiring sometimes. <laughs> we, we walked them all up to Table Rock over Thanksgiving, um, for instance, and, and so it can be tiring. And so, you know, every once in a while, it's nice, perhaps, to try to sneak in a nap. And so my, my, when I like to try this is, um, and I've given, gotten her permission. She said I could mention this to, about her this morning. Um, when my three-year-old takes a nap, um, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, I'll just lie down beside her. The sun's beating in, and, you know, she's snuggly, and, and we're, we're, we're lying down, and it's a great time to take a nap. Until about five seconds after I'm dozing off to sleep, I hear this. Wake up! Wake up! Don't go to sleep! And it's very sweet. It, it, no, it really is. It's very sweet. That my three-year-old would want to be with me. Would want to en- enjoy us being together. And I think that's a little bit like what Jesus is doing with his disciples here. What should we do in the meantime? Stay awake. Stay awake. Jesus knows. He knows all too well the temptation and how easy it is to to slowly fall away. Listen to me. Uh, It's very unlikely that some big giant sin is going to bring you down tomorrow. And if it does, it's probably been building up for a long time. But the way we are separated from Jesus is slowly and slowly being drawn away from him, being drawn into a slumber. 
by the cares and desires of this world. That's the danger for Jesus' disciples. These men that he's speaking to in this passage left everything for him. They left everything. We've given up very, very little in comparison to what these disciples gave up. And Jesus is concerned that they would even fall asleep. How much more is that concern true for us? The busyness of our family, even for good things, that slowly leads away from growing in the love of Jesus Christ. The slow dissatisfaction of a marriage leads to wandering eyes and wandering hearts. The self-medicating with alcohol after work, after the kids go down. Maybe it's the simply, the simple life of a self-righteous faith that leads to a hardened heart. A life lived in disgust of others, of their lives and their decisions, rather than showing compassion for their brokenness. What is it that's lulling you to sleep? Wake up! If you're falling asleep, that day of the Lord is going to come upon you suddenly, like a trap, and it will be terrifying. Don't fall asleep. And so the invitation this Advent is to stay awake. To stay awake. We're not talking about doing some grand and radical thing. We're just saying, stay awake. Don't let this world lull you to sleep. This is the hardest time of the year to not get lulled in into the cares and desires of this world. It is the hardest time of the year. And yet it's the time when we say, wake up. Return to Jesus. Don't be called unawares. He is coming back. And so that is your invitation. Stay awake. How are we going to do it? Three quick things, and then I say come to trip Sunday school lesson after this service. <laughs> Repent. Okay? Repent. Come back to Jesus. Come to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're hearing these things, and you're thinking, wow, I'm not, I'm not really sure where I am. There's one way to guarantee that. In his first advent, Jesus came in grace and mercy. And he's given this invitation to you to come back to him, to return to him. No matter what you've done, no matter how far away you are, Jesus is saying, come back to me. And the rest of us who have already come back to Jesus will come on back again because I know you sinned yesterday. (laughs) Don't think that's insignificant. Don't think that's inconsequential. Repent. Secondly, remind yourself daily of what Jesus has done for you. Daily remind yourself of the cross, that this babe that was born at Christmas would become a man who would be brutally executed on a cross so that you and your sins can be forgiven. And finally, pray. Pray that you may have the strength to escape all these things, that you may have the strength not to fall asleep, that you may have the strength to live out the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit you might stand before the Son of Man on the last day. Friends, stay awake.